If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Level Up, the esports and gaming show with me, Nathan Bliss, esports and gaming writer at Reach PLC. In this week's episode of Level Up, I spoke to Matt Gallagher, presenter for WTF1, F1 Esports and F1 TV. Matt told me about the unusual way his career began by making reaction videos in his kitchen and posting F1 game videos on YouTube. Matt also told me about how WTF1 approached him to become their presenter, how he got involved in F1 Esports, driving a real-life F1 car and interviewing Lewis Hamilton in his very first week in the job. Matt also told me about how in 2020, he was a co-commentator for F1 TV, commentating on three Formula One races and multiple F2 races alongside Alex Jakes. We also spoke about how esports has become more mainstream than ever before and discussed how esports could become a pathway to motorsport in the future. Enjoy. having me absolutely no the pleasure is all mine honestly matt i'm a big fan of your work as i was saying um off the mic a bit earlier on so i've been trying to get you for a while it's it's good to finally chat with you all about your esports journey how you started in the industry and um look at where you've ended up because it's been quite a journey hasn't it for you it really has yeah it's been a, a massive whirlwind um you know when i stop and think about it it's been a crazy sort of three or four years where uh, you know i didn't really know what i was going to do with my life and uh, and now i'm here so yeah i'm not <laughs> complaining though so where did it all begin for you then um your career because i know I, I saw something somewhere that you you had a youtube channel didn't you back in the day yeah i did well i used to work with young people so i i was completely away from anything motorsport related i loved motorsport you know i've watched formula one ever since i was you know <laughs> one years old maybe even younger you know i was plonked in front of the tv by my dad but um but yeah i think you know it all started when i just started my own personal youtube channel uh you know i was just I was good at the F1 game and I just wanted to kind of show off that I was kind of good at it and, you know, show off some hot laps and things like that. But it was never anything serious in my eyes. And it then just kind of grew and grew a little bit more, a little bit more. Um, and then eventually uh, I was I was noticed by WTF1, uh, which was, well, three and well, nearly four years ago now. Didn't you used to do like reactions and stuff like, like you do now for WTF1, I suppose, but you used to do it like roasting some of the performances and stuff <laughs> and reaction from the the races and stuff yeah it was it was uh, called the rage kitchen where i would just um plonk <laughs> my camera on the shelf and then just shout into the camera for seven minutes edit it very basically on my computer and uh, and then put it up there for some reason people seemed to watch it it wasn't a huge huge viewership but it was still uh, like uh, a few passionate fans there that, that, that kept coming back and as i say it was always just a little bit of fun i never took it seriously i never thought anyone would really kind of want me to do anything seriously or as a proper job it was just something on the side which i enjoyed doing i've you know i've got a creative side to me which i've kind of realized in in you know the the, the years gone by over since i've started going to wtf1 and 
And yeah, it's kind of just all happened very quickly. So what was your reaction then when WTF1 approached you? What what were you thinking at that time? It's a funny story, actually, because Tommy, who's the founder of WTF1, he uh, he DM'd me on Twitter, sent me a message and said, uh, oh, Matt, I've got this, we've got this secret thing going on. We can't really tell you too much about it, but uh, would you could you come into London to, to discuss it? And I was thinking, wow. WTF1, you know, I thought of them as like the real cool kids, you know, they were the big following and everybody loved them and and they, they yeah, secret project. And I said, uh, I replied within, I think, three seconds. <laughs> it was it was ridiculous how <laughs> I didn't even play it cool for a second. I was like, yep, yeah, no, let me know when you want me to come to London. I'll, uh, I'll speak to you then. And yeah, and then I went to London. Uh, they told me about the fact they wanted to launch a YouTube channel. Uh, they needed a presenter for it. And they they kind of had me as one of the potential candidates. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness me, you know, I shout in front of a camera in my kitchen, but I, I'm not a presenter. I've not got any experience in it. Uh, and then it kind of all unfolded from there. I had a load. I went through so many different stages of doing a voiceover test. I did a, I went to the Autosport International show in Birmingham to do a test shoot. I had to do a test podcast. There were so many things where they were testing me to make sure that I was the right one. And for some reason, they picked me. <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean, looking back um, at like some of the old YouTube videos, do you think now, actually, that is what I was actually doing, but I didn't realise it at the time. You were kind of honing your skills, even at that early stage, really? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I was rough around <laughs> the edges in every form. You know, I didn't put any real effort into my editing. I remember I used to do F1 uh, game career mode videos, uh, but I, I did not enjoy it at all. But the fact is, sometimes I'd come out the recording and realized the audio hadn't recorded so instead of any sort of professional that would have redone the race and things like that no i just did squeaky game engine noises in the background where i was doing it for about eight minutes of me just making engine sounds because i was like i can't be bothered to go and do that again so for me it was just i think maybe that's why some people watched was it was the rough and ready i didn't care i shouted i sweared and it was just chaos really on the channel but um again i never ever thought i would work in formula one it was just a, a fun pastime so tell me about the, your career at WTF1 then, because I mean, the, the website now and the, I mean, you, you call it just a website. It's not really. It's a movement, uh, really. It's turned into this massive uh, platform for, for Formula One fans and gaming fans to go and, and look at stuff. And and you do videos on YouTube and podcasts and, and all kinds of things like you were saying before. Were you in the deep, thrown in the deep end a bit at the early stages in terms of what? Uh- yeah, yeah, massively. Uh, so we were previously owned by Car Throttle uh, and we're now under the umbrella of the race media. And um, yeah, I remember my first week starting the job. Uh, they said, oh, Matt, by the way, uh, you're going to the Mercedes car launch and you're interviewing Hamilton and Bottas. And I was like, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm that doing was your what? first I- week. Yeah, that was my first week on the job. That was one wow. of the days I had to go to them. I mean, it's not the, not the worst thing in the world. Don't get me wrong. I was absolutely buzzing, but also petrified. You now, the fact that my first week on the job, you know, usually you'd have an induction, wouldn't you? You'd walk around. How do you use the coffee machine? No, Matt, go and interview Hamilton. And I'm thinking, you know, I can't mess this up. I had one question and I had to make sure that it was, you know, delivered correctly. And, you know, I was shaking uh, and then I asked him who would win in a race between Roscoe and Coco. Obviously, he had, uh, one of his dogs <laughs> passed away, unfortunately. But, yeah. uh, but at the time, it was funny and it made him laugh. And I was like, oh, my God. But yeah, it was definitely thrown in the deep end. But that's that's what I needed because I was never a presenter. You know, I've never had any training in media or anything like that. I'm very much homegrown. So being thrown into the deep end, making some mistakes... Even then, the, the mistakes are what people like watching. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a weird thing where I don't have to be polished in order for people mm. to watch. 
So your first ever interview in any kind of capacity was with two of the greatest F1 drivers ever, yeah. really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, literally. Uh, well, I mean, Bottas maybe not, but in terms of sorry, racing said, for... Yeah, sorry, I shouldn't have said racing for the top two. I said just drivers in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. I won't say that Bottas is one of the greatest ever, otherwise I definitely will get messages. But in terms <laughs> of the, the top team, yeah. yeah, it was Bottas and Hamilton. I think Bottas had uh, just joined the team and... Yeah, it was it was really interesting and and a cool experience. But yeah, from there on, it's just been unreal. You know, I sit in my bed sometimes and just watch through the WTF one YouTube channel and just go, oh, that that was me. Was I just? I, it's it's cool to have like a a library of stuff I can go back on and and look back at my experiences because at the end of the day, all I'm doing is living my life through the YouTube channel, and for some reason, people like watching it. Yeah, now you you present so many different things on the YouTube channel, and like you said, you've got a podcast and stuff and. It's so popular with fans all over the world. You've got a very young demographic audience as well, which is really important because Formula One is is that kind of industry that has those kind of preconceptions about kind of older people watching it. And Formula One's always trying to attract younger fans, isn't it? That's just what they're doing through the races. So it's great to see like a new platform coming along really to to kind of attract the younger fans. I think YouTube is the way to go. So have you ever looked back at that that interview with uh, Bottas and Hamilton? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. I have watched it back, and because I find it quite interesting to see how I've developed since then to now. I mean, I remember the first few videos that I presented. I didn't know where to put my hands. I was like, "Where, where does someone put their hands when they're talking to a camera?" <laughs> yeah. And I remember my test shoot. I don't know why they hired me, but they did. But you know. Clearly, my personality or something came through, but my hands were just down by my side. And I watch it back now and I go, what are you doing, Matt? But yeah, I think I, I do like watching it back because it is nice to see some, you know, the, the progression I've had over the years. And and the fact that, you know, those were, those were some of my first ever videos. I'm just glad I didn't pass out. And it's nice <laughs> to know that those videos actually exist. Um, but but yeah, you know, there's lots of different things and, and elements to our YouTube channel, the podcast. We have the Internet's Best Reaction series, which is one of our, well, our most popular series where probably usually about a quarter of a million people to have this weekend to, to, to watch me react to tweets, um, which sounds basic. It is a basic concept, uh, but it's I feel like it's a nice roundup for a lot of Formula One fans that, you know, they have me being all animated and talking about the the crazy things that happened in the race and reacting some funny reactions that people have put on social media. Uh, and it generally is just quite a fun, fun kind of uh, show. But then on the other side, we like to, well, COVID dependent, we like to go and travel and go to old circuits. And there's a, a whole variety of stuff we like to do. So looking back, really, you could say that you, you made a career from, from gaming, essentially, because what you were doing was... Like you said, you were doing those kind of um, my career stuff and you were kind of messing about on there. But that's led to the fully fledged career presenting career that you've got now. Absolutely. You know, I, I say it to my mum every single time. She uh, used to come in my bedroom when I was 16 saying, stop playing those games, stop playing F1, stop uh, doing your league races. You know, you need to be concentrating on your homework. No, I mean, clearly it's worked out pretty well. And uh, <laughs> I do like to remind her uh, over a glass of wine sometimes. Uh, do you remember that time, mum, you told me to stop playing games? Uh, because it is crazy to think. I mean, back then I can understand why my mum was saying that. You know, I'm 28 now. And back then there wasn't really a huge amount of esports talk or the fact that you could make a gaming career out of anything but sort of testing games which is obviously a very was a very highly uh, interesting job for a, a young person but you know that was it there wasn't really content creation as such youtube wasn't as big a thing um so i understand how you know my mum used to look back at it then but how it's changed to now is just crazy you know this is what i used to dream of is you know these racing esports gay uh, um, like series competitions 
Um, and yeah, gaming is where it all started. That's a brilliant segue because I'm just going to go into esports now. Thank you very much for that, Matt. I'll give you the assist on that. I'm uh, presenting in the podcast. <laughs> you are. You're presenting my podcast now. <laughs> Sorry. Taking me over. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so when did you first kind of hear the word esports in regards to F1 and kind of sim racing and stuff? Was that was that as you were kind of kind of progressing through your career with WTF1? Uh, in motorsport, it was quite late on, I think. It was around the time of when F1 Esports was was released. I mean, I actually took part in a, an Esports, I guess, tournament. It was called Red Bull Gridsters. And I think I was about 16. And I went to uh, the Goodwood Festival of Speed, I think it was hosted at. And I actually took part in this competition where I was labeled as one of the top 16 in the world. I wasn't. They just didn't have many applicants. But, <laughs> um, but, but that was probably my first taste of it. And then... From then on, you know, I'd see Call of Duty, I'd see League of Legends, all these other big games that have these esports tournaments. And, you know, I'd watch it and think, like, why can't we do this for, for Formula One? And, you know, I used to plead on Twitter back in the day that there, there should be a thing like this. And you know, when I got a whiff that F1 uh, were, you know, talking to Gfinity and, and they were going to be releasing this F1 esports pro series, I have absolutely no, you know, sort of shame in saying that I was popping tweets out left, right, and centre, saying, "Wouldn't it be great if I was involved?" Pretty much, but in a in a, in a better coded way. <laughs> I was basically just trying to get as many eyeballs on as possible as me, basically saying, "Please get me involved. This is literally my dream." And since then, I mean, looking back at like you mentioned the Red Bull uh, thing. I mean, yeah. that to you at that time must have felt like, oh, this is just a bit of fun. You know, it's never going to lead to anything type thing. But now, I mean, in 2020, the industry of esports is just growing exponentially every year. And there's so many different esports out there. But in terms of motor racing and sim racing, every single racing series you can think of as an esports equivalent. And there's some there's some mega talented drivers out there as well. Um, and one of the, one of the things I really wanted to touch on was the um, obviously during the the COVID the first wave of the pandemic earlier this year, you were heavily involved with the F1 Virtual Grand Prix series, um, and that was on the the Sky Sports F1 channel and on Twitch and on Facebook, YouTube and stuff. Um, that was just that just kind of cemented it for me that hang on, esports is mainstream now. This is because every other sport had to stop, but esports, you can, it's so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? So adaptive that yeah. you can do it remotely and it's able to be done from, from your, your living room, essentially, if you've got a racing rig that's good enough. <laughs> um, but what was it like to be part of that, that virtual Grand Prix series when there was nothing else on? And that was just the kind of flagship program for, for Sky Sports at that time. It was really odd. That's the only way I can describe it because it was hosted in the same place where we do the esports series. But the Virtual Grand Prix, we had obviously bare bones staff. Now, I was sat on the, I think I was sat on the desk at one point, but then, it, you know, it was either the desk or the commentary booth. But, that, you know, <laughs> we'd have one standalone camera. It genuinely felt like it was, you know, just a, or oh, we've stripped back and we're trying to save money here. But obviously it was down to the pandemic. And yet we'd come off air and see that hundreds of thousands of people were watching it concurrently, not just overall. And the numbers, yeah, were just absolutely ridiculous. So if I'd have known how many people were going to watch <laughs> before we did it, uh, I would have probably been a tiny bit more nervous. But it felt yeah. so, so casual, which was so weird. But the actual virtual Grand Prix um, sort of series that happened was just ridiculous. You know, but you'd get kind of planning sheets before the show. And you go, oh, yeah, Sergio Aguero's racing this week. I'm going, so, what? 
Sergio Aguero. <laughs> oh, Liam Payne from One Direction is going to pop in. Oh, no, obviously not in One Direction anymore, but Liam Payne from One Direction is going to drive. I'm thinking, <laughs> what is going on here? This is ridiculous. They all just wanted to get involved, which was, again, you know, we were going through a really weird time. So it was, yeah. the emotions are quite hard to describe, but the actual end product and how many people were watching and talking about it uh, was just, was really an honor to be a part of. I mean, you talk about the success of it, just to give you some headline numbers here. The virtual Grand Prix races reached 21.8 million views on digital platforms alone including the official <laughs> F1 YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook channels, as well as the Weibo and Huya channels in China. Um, also, the TV viewership estimates suggest that the Virtual Grand Prix also accumulated a further 5 million views through broadcast partners in over 100 countries. Um, I'm getting lightheaded at that anyway, and I'm not, I don't even have to do it anymore. <laughs> in addition to that, the Virtual Vietnam Grand Prix, but actually taking part in the Albert Park circuit in the end, it was the number one trending video on YouTube in the UK post-event. That's crazy. Um, and the F1 had three of the top five sports videos on the platform in the UK for between March and April. Um, <laughs> I mean, like you said there, it was, it was such a crazy time for everyone and it was confusing. Like you were just sat at home, not really, no football was on, no other sports was on and that was kind of the only thing that we could watch. But what I really loved about it is it kind of just, I had my dad ringing me saying, oh, are you watching the the F1 esports? I mean, it's so good. And we had actual yeah, yeah. racing. And I think even the older generation saw that like esports is is a sport in itself and it's it's mainstream now. And you have to sit up and take notice because, I mean, when you've got people like uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Sergio Aguero getting involved, Liam Payne, and not only that, but the, the, the actual... Actual real life F1 drivers, um, Charles Leclerc, George Russell, Lando Norris, Alex Albon. Um, you also had David Coulthard get involved. Nico Rosberg got involved. Um, I mean, it was just mental seeing like Alex. I remember the the Brazil one where it was uh, Charles Leclerc and Alex Albon. The whole yeah. race just trading first place. And I remember just watching it thinking this is this is like better than an F1 race in some ways. <laughs> Um, it was just it was just a crazy time, wasn't it? Do you think that this the virtual Grand Prix series kind of cemented esports in the or helped uh, cement esports in the mainstream? Oh, without a doubt, it you know it helped the conversation at the very least. You know, people were discussing what on earth is this esports thing? Why would anyone watch someone else play a game when you can just play it yourself? And I think that's the one thing that's slowly but surely being broken down is that. Well, why would you watch real life football when you can go play football yourself? It's because those footballers are incredible to watch. And that's why you watch. It's the same with gaming. And it's the same with why esports is so popular is because you may not have the skills that these these players are able to to, to show on screen. And, and that's exactly why I watch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it definitely helped. Uh, I think that the problem has, and, and it was always going to be a problem that's probably not going to be solved, is keeping that momentum. You know, you have the Formula One drivers involved. You have these huge celebrities involved. The F1 Esports Pro Series is never going to have those numbers because of the fact until the, the drivers have the same weight. But it's definitely helped in terms of a lot more people understand why they'd watch. And oh, if they see it on YouTube, they see it on Sky, you know, oh, I might have a little watch to see what's going on here. Because the Esports Series... Uh, that we're involved in this year is absolutely ridiculous in terms of how close it is. Now we, we've uh, uh, produced this this new qualifying show, which uh, 
which I, I actually host. And we, we watch all of the qualifying Q1, Q2, Q3. And they are separated by like the top eight are separated by one tenth of a second. And it's, it's really exciting to watch. So as soon as you kind of break down the fact that why would I watch it? Because it's just a game and you just appreciate it for uh, for entertainment. It's actually quite easy to watch. Yeah, definitely. I think, I, I don't know if you've been listening to my podcast, but I say something very similar when I go on a rant about how people don't really know uh, what esports is all about because they say, oh, why would you watch, you know, someone playing a game? It's, it's because they're really good at it. And I want to, yeah. you know, I want to watch someone who's at the top of their game. But I'm just looking at a screenshot here just to kind of cement the point um, from the um, the Bahrain Virtual Grand Prix. Stoffel Van Dorn, Lando Norris, Jimmy Broadbent, Nicholas Latifi, Nico Hulkenberg, Esteban Gutierrez, Johnny Herbert, Nicholas Hamilton, Ian Poulter, Chris Hoy, Liam Payne. It was just like <laughs> looking back at those times. Um, the thing that I really enjoyed about it is that you could tell that the, the cream of the crop always rose to the top in these races. And that's the thing that I think with F1 esports, it has it has a real advantage over other esports in that. If you're play, if you're a FIFA pro player, you're not actually kicking the ball around a pitch. If you're a League of Legends player, you're not actually destroying someone else's base in real life. But yeah. if you're a part of an F1 esports event, you're actually doing the movements. You're you're steering yeah. the wheel. You're pressing the pedals at the right time. You're learning brake points. You're learning how how far you can press the brake pedal before you can spin and all that kind of stuff. So the when you watch these these pro F1 esports players you know that they are insane in terms of their talent and you know that they are like you you wouldn't be able to do that if you see what i mean whereas if you watch other esports sometimes you can kind of take it for granted and think oh if i practiced i could be as good as that but in f1 esports you just i mean some of the pro the pros that are getting involved now they're just they're so quick it's unbelievable mm. Yeah, it's actually a good point you make about the fact that with FIFA, there's an element of the unknown. You shoot the ball, but you don't know exactly where that ball's going to go, whereas you are completely in control of your car. There's no other real external elements apart from someone else crashing into you, perhaps. But yeah. apart from that, yeah, it is completely up to the driver. And it is, it, you know, they, they're immersed in their own little cockpit as well, which unfortunately with the Gfinity Arena not being able to 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 kind of host them at the moment because of the fact of COVID, uh, but it is great to have them in the studio from previous seasons gone, where you know you see them working the wheel. You have the likes of Danny Berezne; he's known for pressing his brake pedal so hard. Genuinely, if your head was underneath it, it would explode with how hard he presses those brake pedals. Uh, and it's kind of like a running running joke that how because he's broken so many of his brake pedals just from pressing it too hard. But it's it's exciting to see that sort of stuff and those sort of techniques because clearly he's pressing it harder. So that he can brake later, therefore there's less uh, distance within the brake pedal. Is you know they they think of everything, and as soon as you appreciate how much these guys work to get to where they are, it, it's just brilliant to be a part of. I'm I'm not biased, I promise, but also kind of am because I love it. <laughs> and it's no surprise we talk about that. It's no surprise that George Russell won the esports championship, and I mean for weeks and months after they were talking about it on Sky F1 as part of the actual real life F1 coverage about how. This this win in the esports tournament kind of elevated Russell a little bit in terms of what people thought about him because they recognised that he'd he'd actually practiced on the game, he'd put time into it, um, and obviously he's an incredibly talented driver um, in real life, and that translates to the esports events as well. So it just shows you that you know if you if you're it's not just being good at a game, it's it's being like the best uh, at something, which is something you have to admire. Yeah, and. 
George was incredible to watch because he genuinely was on the pace of the esports drivers. And yeah, I don't think he'll be putting it in his next PowerPoint to drive for Mercedes that he won the virtual <laughs> Grand Prix championship. Yeah. But uh, the fact that he's able to take on all that information and learn and adapt, it, it is an interesting skill to at least see. I don't think, as I say, the F1 teams will take it into account too much, but it, it was it was awesome to see how much time George put into it. He can clearly see the 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 benefits of of getting involved in such a, a thing. And you know, he may not have gained in terms of his F1 career, but in terms of his profile, it it went through the roof. I think George was one of those that wasn't particularly sort of seen for his personality until the virtual Grand Prix where they saw that George is actually a lighthearted, fun guy and has as many jokes in him as Lando does. Uh, and I think George in particular was one to really benefit from, uh, from the lockdown phase. Talking about careers going through the roof and platforms going through the roof, um, once you, you, you were heavily involved in the production of the F1 Virtual Grand Prix series, um, and then um, how long after was it that you realised that you'd be commentating on a real-life F1 event? I know, I know it was the Austria Grand Prix, wasn't it, that you first... Yeah, yeah. How, Styrian, yeah. yeah. So the second one. Oh, the second, the second one. one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. confusing. Um, it is, yeah. Where, how, how, um, how close was that between knowing doing that and then knowing you're going to be commenting on, commentating on a, an actual F1 slash F2 event? Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, I heard from Alex Jakes, who was the commentator I was alongside for for the entirety of it. That was when our partnership started to to flourish. You know, I love Alex. He's such a nice guy and I feel completely comfortable commentating with him and we know exactly where the line is and not to drop the other one in it. And, you know, it just kind of works seamlessly. But I remember him saying, because he works for for Formula One and he does the commentary usually for Formula Two and, 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 and he said to me, I think, from one of the events he said oh FOM really like you know what we're doing and I went oh okay cool that's a nice compliment not thinking anything would ever come from it you know I'm a pleb that used to you know shout in my kitchen there's no way that Formula One are going to come knocking on my door to to do commentary and then yeah then I get an email saying oh Matt do you want to do you want to come do the Styrian Grand Prix uh, for Formula 2 and F1 TV and I was like is it three seconds again (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, I, I mean, I don't even, I think I actually probably passed out, so it might have been a bit longer. <laughs> but I remember reading that going, no way. Um, and and obviously I accepted and it was one of a few that I was involved in and I can't quite believe it It happened because I, I did Styria, Russia, and then uh, most recently Imola, but there was no Formula 2. So if you're in the UK, you can't actually access F1 TV coverage. But it's, uh, yeah, I it's genuinely one of my career highlights for sure. Did you have a moment where you were just sitting there in the press box next to Alex Jakes, you know, commenting, commentating on the F1 and just thinking, hang on a minute, I'm, 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 I'm watching like Lewis Hamilton, you know, go past and... <laughs> Like, well, we actually were fr- uh, we were staged in Kent, so we weren't actually at the Formula One racetrack. Of course, yeah, silly. Um, yeah. So, but, but still, exactly the same feeling. Exactly the same feeling where I was just holding this because they use old school handheld mics with the little yeah. sort of nose covering, so you don't breathe into the mic. And uh, you know, I, as soon as I walked in, I was like, "Ah, this isn't for this. This isn't for me." Well, it was for me, but I, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I'm just a fan, um, but. But yeah, it was it was such a different experience because esports, you know, that's my bread and butter. I've played the F1 game for many, many years. When I picked up that that old school handheld mic, saw the 10 screens in front of me with all kinds of different data and saw that I was going to be commentating on real life motorsport, I thought, okay, 
ha, this is <laughs> this is going to be interesting because it is so different. It might just be racing, but you know, there's so many different things you have to say and things you you can't say when it's real life motorsport. There's so much to think about. But uh, I think you know, once I'd done Styria and you know I'd learned a few things and and whatnot, it, it, I felt comfortable after that. Well, that's a, I mean, you that's a brand new skill again in itself that you've just said there. I mean, you said that you weren't a presenter before and then you you were throw, kind of thrown into it and you had to learn it on the job. I mean, this that's even more in the deep end, isn't it? You've like in terms of commentating on a on a real life F one event, um, it's got to have been massively different to anything that you've done previously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I on my old channel, which we'd mentioned earlier, I'd talk over gameplay and things like that. And sometimes I'd do a sort of as live commentary over gameplay, but commentating on a on a real life Formula 2 race where you've got Alex Jakes next to me, who I certainly feel like he's going to be the next uh, Sky F1 commentator in the in the years to come. Yeah, and I stood here like, OK, cool. Um, yeah, so I'm always thinking... As Alex is talking, right, what's my next point? What's my next point? Just analyzing everything, looking at all the data, looking at all the timings. What's the next sort of thing to pick up on? Uh, and I was quite proud of a few things I picked up on of like, I think Mick Schumacher was catching uh, for third at Syria and uh, Alex Jakes hadn't mentioned it. And, and that sort of stuff where, you know, I actually felt like I was bringing something to the broadcast, which is, you know, I'm, I'm very self-critical. And, you know, when I looked at this opportunity, I went, oh, yeah, how much can I actually bring? But, uh, you know, there was a huge amount of, of love and support from people, you know, on social media afterwards saying that they really enjoyed my commentary. And and it was it was really kind of heartwarming to know that it didn't feel like I was out of place uh, uh, because that was my one real worry was that I was going to feel like I was just a fan in the commentary box and <laughs> I didn't really know what to do. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was such a, a thrilling experience. And from what I know, uh, I'll be getting involved again next year um, because they were, the, well, the last email I got, they were happy. So Exclu uh, is that an yeah. exclusive? It's an exclusive that I, well, I don't know what I'll be doing and there's no, there's nothing signed, but uh, <laughs> the, the interest is there and that's all I can ask for. I mean, even being asked back after my first debut appearance was, you know, meant the world to me because it meant they didn't want to just sack me off. <laughs> No, but you made a good point there about co-commentary because outside the media industry, I think kind of the co-commentary position is kind of people don't realise how difficult that is because obviously you've got Alex Jakes as the the comment the commentator. He's yeah. he's speaking about what's happening, exactly what's happening uh, on the track, uh, the kind of play by pay by pay, if you know what I mean, um, yeah, football, yeah. but. What you've got to do as a co-commentator is not repeat what he's saying because that brings nothing to the table. Exactly. You've got no, to bring got... something completely different by looking at the stats, by trying to notice something he's not noticing. So if anything, it's like, I'm not saying it's a harder job, if you like, but it's, it's, it's way different from just commentating on your own on something. Yeah, it's a completely different role. And to be honest, I am more of an Alex Jakes in terms of my previous experience. I've never really been a co-commentator up until... Uh, the F1 esports stuff and and the fact that it's, it's easier for me to add color to an esports event than it is a motorsport event because I'm not I'm not an ex racing driver but instead of me pretending to know what I'm talking about in that role uh, doing the real life stuff I I just kind of lent on what I knew I could do well which was kind of if Alex had missed a, a part of the story that's unfolding in front of us or you know certain gaps or tire life and, and things like that I. I feel like you don't have to be an ex-racing driver to be a co-commentator anymore. At least I hope that I've kind of proved that because at the end of the day, it's it's you're, you're painting the picture for the people at home. And 
I, I don't think you necessarily always have to talk about the, you know, the tire graining and, you know, but I understand basics of that as well. It's just, in my opinion, and the way I went about it was let's paint this picture and make it as exciting as possible because, you know, I'm quite excitable when I'm commentating and presenting and things like that, that, you know, I want the, the viewers to be immersed and look, it, it, it kind of worked, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> what, what were the main differences in, in commentating on uh, or presenting for, for F1 and for the esports? What, what do you think were the main differences? The main difference was that it was in real life. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, thanks for that. You know, I did set you up for that, didn't if, I? If an esports driver crashes, you can you can oh you know yeah, scream yeah. and shout and maybe even laugh. You you can't do that in real life motorsport, and you have to really analyze each and every situation. If there is a crash, you know you can't speculate on a driver's health if they've crashed into the wall. A, a huge example of that was Russia, where it was it was a big test when uh, Jack Aitken and Luca Giotto crashed at turn. I want to say maybe four. It's the long left hander, and they hit the barriers on the right, and it was a huge crash, and one of the cars set alight. But you can't speculate that they're okay or they're not okay. You just have to paint the picture in terms of what we're seeing. But no, nothing else. It has to be the yeah. truth and that's it, unless you've heard from race, race control or whatever. So that was probably the most difficult part was, was that kind of stuff because it's, there's no racing going on. You just have to keep the, the viewers notified on, on what exactly you know. Yeah, and you learned that, didn't you, as well, doing the eSports events because obviously some technical issues that ultimately did <laughs> arise. Um, you have to feel quite a bit, don't you? And that, that, that does happen in real-life sports broadcasting where you often see, like, I mean, if, if anyone's watched the practice sessions for F1, like Crofty or whoever's, you know, co-commentating with him, I mean, they have to fill hours and hours, um, you know, of where it's just nothing happening sometimes. So mm. I suppose you've had to learn that skill as well, something that, again, you'd, you'd never really come across before. No, I mean, esports did set me up because, you know, you do have, it's 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 100% guaranteed you're going to get a technical fault at some point. Yeah, um, mostly it was Lando, the same. wasn't it, as well? Yeah, yeah, Lando couldn't connect to save his life and to pretty much any virtual Grand Prix. Yeah. Uh, hence why he had, was then uh, coined Lando Bot was yeah. his... Uh, his car but, but in terms of uh, my first f2 commentary my first real life experience was steria and if anybody watched the Styrian grand prix it was an absolute washout so we had probably i want to say an hour maybe slightly less maybe 45 minutes me and Alex Jake, live on sky sports f1 having to fill in my very first commentary race <laughs> i was sat there going what have i done to deserve this but at the same time filling is actually especially when it's alongside um alex's I actually don't mind it at all because we just talk absolute rubbish. And uh, you know, the medical car was going out doing laps to see if uh, you know if the, the track can, uh, was improving. And you know, we started commentating on it. Oh, he's come out of the piss, and oh, he takes the apex. You know, just having a bit of fun with it because that's that's all you can do, really. So uh, yeah, I don't mm. mind filling so much. Uh, it isn't ideal when it's a huge amount of time, but you just have to make it your own and and just kind of not beat around the bush and say, look, we're having some problems or is there's a red flag and there's nothing we can do. It's raining. Yeah. You know, we'd constantly analyze the rain and yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was fun, but also quite stressful. Before we move on, I just want to echo your thoughts really on Alex Jakes, because again, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Alex Jakes in, in commentary. And again, I, I think he will be the next Formula One uh, main commentator for the channel. Cause so, I mean, you, you, with, with comment with comments, with commentary, um, I always look at the big moments about how the, the, the commentators handle the big moments. I think Alex Yates gets them every single time. He gets the right kind of sound for the moment, if you see what I mean. He's very good at recognising when the moment's coming and how he phrases things when that big moment 
is there um it's it's very when you when you play it back afterwards it sounds right that's that's just how i feel i don't know if you feel the same yeah he he is very good at the the big moments and he just just generally i I mean i sound like an alex jakes fanboy and people (laughs) have made many funny pictures of of me and him with love hearts but it's (laughs) it generally he he is just the best in my opinion in 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 every way you know he's really the way he treated the antoine hubert situation um when when he tragically lost his life uh, at spa in f2 the way alex jakes handled that situation and then handled the next intro commentary for the next race it was perfect uh, so for me, he is just the package deal and and he should definitely get the the call up. And, you know, there's not to say that Crofty can't do the big moments because he can. And I think that he is really good at hyping up what's going on. But for me, Alex is definitely the the, the man to succeed him. Uh, but I mean, he works for Formula One anyway, so he's pretty much yeah. in, the, you yeah. know, he's, he's in there. It's just uh, whether or not he gets the call up. But, you know, that's something that I don't know what's going to happen. Alex doesn't know, uh, but I think he definitely has shown he deserves it. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But yeah, I wish Alex all the best in his career and yourself because, you know, you and Alex have got a great teamwork going with the commentary. <laughs> yeah, I'll be sending Alex you the never invoice know. for that the compliments I've just uh, Alex, sent him. Alex Jakes, Matt Gallagher and Martin Brundle. That would be the ultimate trio, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Martin Brundle randomly messaged me on Instagram. It was a post. He's got Instagram? Yeah, and Martin Brundle's got Instagram and I put a post up of me and Alex Jakes after one of the weekends of commentating with him and he said something like oh better look out for my job or something and I was going nah oh. this cannot be real this cannot be real and then another <laughs> time he, me- he messaged me saying happy birthday I was going this is Martin really? Brundle <laughs> but uh, yeah just that just uh, popped into my head <laughs> well come, coming off from that I mean again that's a great segue thanks Matt you talk about your your kind of the, the big moments in your career and the moments you'll look back in a couple of years time and think what the hell was going on there I mean, you play four guys and Among Us um, on Twitch with Lando Norris and a couple of the other F1 drivers, I, I believe. Um, I mean, you're you're actually playing with F1 drivers. Is that does that ever sink in at any state? I mean, I, I've seen I've <laughs> the one that everyone's probably seen. If you haven't seen it, the go and watch it, yeah. it. Is when he's ordering when Lando's ordering pizza um, from room service. Yeah, I thought you were going to say the Hornet. That was or the Hornet. Yeah, that was that was high quality. That one where he had uh, two Hornets in his room and he was petrified of them. But uh, does it get normal? Not not really. Um, to be fair, uh, the likes of Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc, I don't I don't have on a, the same pedestal as I have Lewis Hamilton, and that's pr- purely because I watched Hamilton when I was growing up. And whereas I've met I met Lando when he was an F two, and you know he's he's a lovely guy, and we've we've spent time with him before he even was even within a sniff of Formula One. Um, and and with Charles Leclerc, he was well, he was at Sauber the time that you know I met him, and you know, and he he had said in an article that WTF one was his favourite website and, and things like that. And, and it's really cool. Don't get me wrong, and I, you know I do get starstruck uh, a little bit when I see not, maybe not Lando because I feel like I've spent enough time with him and he's abused me enough to kind of wipe away <laughs> those uh, <laughs> that sort of fanboy moments. But with, with Charles Leclerc, like you know, he, he drives for Ferrari, and Michael Schumacher is my hero, and it ha- my my brain hasn't really computed. That I, you know, I know Charles Leclerc, who drives for the same team as Michael Schumacher did. It's just, yeah. yeah. If I keep saying it, I'll probably start um, swooning. But it's it's that <laughs> kind of thing, which, as a, a hardcore F1 fan since day dot, is just ridiculous. When I look at it on paper, I go, Nah, that's that can't be real. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future, really? But obviously, Lewis Hamilton just won his seventh world title. And he's not going to go on forever. He'll probably win eight, maybe nine. But in the future, you are looking at those drivers like Charles Leclerc, George Russell, Lando Norris, mm. 
uh, Max Verstappen, that next generation. And to say that you've kind of you've bonded with two of the best young drivers out there, and they they could go on to become F1 world champions. You could look back and say, well. I played four guys and Among Us with those guys. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> it's it's crazy, isn't it, to think that you you might look back in the future and and be there when they they're holding that trophy up on the podium and and think, oh, I remember you when we played four guys. And um, yeah. you know what I mean? It's it's just a crazy moment. But that's the I think that is just the absolute. Um, oh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say. Um, I mean, that's the the thing with gaming, is it? The magic of gaming is that you can have these moments with people that you wouldn't necessarily be able to connect with in real life if you see what i mean because they've got their they're obviously a, a very busy life you wouldn't you might not be yeah. able to go and play football or play tennis with them but you can Absolutely. go and play four guys with them it's just the magic of gaming isn't it it is you know it's it's not just with those guys like i my 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 best mate i didn't grow up with nothing like that i met him playing the f1 game and you know we've spoken ever since and i think it it, it says it shows that gaming is as much as it's always seen as unsocial I always think of it as a very social thing and you'll always jump on with the lads and, you know, whether it is Lando or, you know, Jody or whoever, it's it's crazy that that it, it was kind of hallmarked to something that was unsocial and maybe that's because maybe back in single player days it was unsociable. But uh, since multiplayer and the internet, it's uh, it's been quite the opposite. And uh, mm. yeah, uh, back to Lando and Charles, it's, it's very weird to yeah maybe think about the fact they'll be world champions in the future. And look, all I want is a, a an invite to the after party. So <laughs> I'm sure you'll get one. I'm sure you'll get one. If not, um, they'll be getting a message. <laughs> uh, let's talk about your other major thing then, because I know it's your, your pinned tweet about you driving an F1 car. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, that's quite a funny story as well, actually. Uh, that was, um, I think I got that email maybe a couple of weeks after I started with WTF1. Uh, maybe even, maybe it was the first week, I'm not sure. But either way, I got this email from a French agency, uh, quite a long email, lots of spelling errors, and I genuinely thought it was just spam. Said hi, Matt. You know we're doing this three-day Renault boot camp. Uh, we want somebody to kind of basically be part of the boot camp. Um, you know, film their experiences. And this actually came. This opportunity came for my old YouTube channel. It wasn't even for WTF one. But obviously, I'd been I'd signed to WTF one then, and obviously, I brought the content opportunity there. But they'd message, as I say, loads of spelling errors, but kind of got the gist of what they were saying. And then at the bottom, they said. Oh yeah, by the way, you'll drive the Renault Formula One car at the end. And I, I just read it and I went, no, that's not real, but I'm going to reply anyway. <laughs> of course I am. I'm not going to leave this and delete it. So I was like, okay, yeah, very uh, definitely interested. Turns out it was just a French agency with someone that wasn't particularly good at English. And it was real. And I was signed up to this three-day boot camp. The first day was fitness, where I almost died, which people really enjoyed watching. The second day was driving some uh, some other Renault sport cars including the RS01, I think it's called, which was an absolute beast. Uh, and then the third day was was driving a Formula Ford car around Silverstone to kind of warm ourselves up and then driving a 2012, what would have been Lotus F1 team, but rebranded Renault F1 car. It's just, this is not real. Just describe your feelings as you're climbing into the car. Like what? Oh God, I mean... The video pretty much sums it up beautifully because you know I was going in the car and I think Ethan, who was uh, filming at the time, he you know he, he caught me saying this isn't yeah you know, this isn't real this is this is actually happening. I think I said, you know, I remember sitting in the cockpit going, this is a Formula One car <laughs> and it's like a modern one and they're letting me go out to do half the circuit because it was the national circuit of Silverstone so. Uh, cuts onto the Wellington straight before Maggots and Beckett's. But I was in there and they said, yeah, you can have an outlap one time round and then in. 
because uh, it was late in the day. I was supposed to have more laps, but unfortunately didn't happen. But I just remember getting in there and then my first thing was, don't you dare stall. Because if you stall, they might say you're only getting one lap round or something. Um, so obviously the, the clutch is on the, the steering wheel and they, they wheel me out of the car because the, the competition winner couldn't get it out of the garage without stalling. So they wheeled me out before doing it. And then I'm trundling down the pit lane and I'm going this and ah, this is not real. I'm in an F1 car. And I remember coming out of the pit exit. It was the old pit exit uh, where Cops Corner is and just pressing the accelerator and my head nearly came off. <laughs> I was like, this is, yeah, okay. But then at the same time, obviously you, you get a little bit of fear, but at the same time, because you're so tightly packed in, I felt so safe. And it genuinely felt like I was just playing a game because it was a steering wheel on pedals and it was just such a weird sensation. And then I remember cutting onto the to the Wellington Strait and going, Matt, if you do not press this accelerator fully, you will, because well, obviously I'd get one more time round, but I wanted two goes at this. You will regret it for the rest of your life. So I just floored it going through the gears and you can see the, the footage of my head going back and forward on the gear changes because it's so aggressive and my neck's definitely not trained to a Formula One spec. And yeah, it was just unbelievable. And then after when I got out, started crying, didn't really, because I was so early into my job, I forgot I was mic'd up. So I'd rung my mum, crying, my, crying away and Ethan's filming me this entire time. And I didn't know. And then they were like, yeah, this make great content. I was going, come on. <laughs> that, that was a private moment, but turns out people enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, that just sounds incredible. Um, I, I left imagine. half my soul on that track. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd gone. You were changed forever when you left that Genuinely. Yeah. I, I can remember that day like it was yesterday. I remember the, the, the weather. I remember how it felt. It was just, I soaked it up like a sponge. It was so good. Wow, wow. And all from all from doing videos in your kitchen? Gaming. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. All from all from sitting in my bedroom for far too long every day, practicing around certain tracks on F1 2010 for my league racing. And uh, it all came to, and it literally did. It, it's not like, you know, my mum could say, oh, it came through WTF1. It didn't. It came from my whole channel, which uh, <laughs> just, it just tastes even better. Brilliant. Uh, so just, I just wanted to touch on as well, um, the future of the industry, because obviously we've got, these next-gen mm. consoles coming out, and obviously PC gaming is just getting better all the time with improved graphics and things. And I know there's always feedback, isn't there, about F1 games and iRacing and stuff about how there's there's always improvements that can be made. They're not perfect by any means. And you did have a few drivers moan, didn't you, about certain things yeah. not being realistic and things. But, I mean, we're seeing now, aren't we? One of the previous podcast guests on Level Up is James Baldwin, the world's fastest gamer, um, who won a competition um, and he was driving for Jensen Button's GT3 team um, in the British GT Championship and he won his first race and he nearly came pole in his very first uh, drive, but only only to be uh, deleted by track limits, uh, which is very harsh. It was like a centimetre over the line, I think. Yeah. But do you think that in the future, um, I mean, we see, don't we, Lewis Hamilton's talked about it, how karting was so expensive for him growing up and how there must be so many young kids out there who just can't afford to go karting and to go for all these categories. Do you think sim racing and esports can, can be that, in the future, can be that kind of entry into the sport that's more accessible for people? It's a difficult one. I think it certainly can help find talent. I don't think it can be the only stepping stone and then you get into a Formula 3 drive unless you have millions of pounds, which 
You know, some people do. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Otherwise, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be on the Formula <laughs> 3 grid trundling around seven sac- uh, seconds a lap off a pace. But um, yeah, I, I, it's it's really difficult because esports, yeah, it, it has shown that the likes of James Baldwin, he can go from virtual to, to real. Uh, I don't think it happens for every single person that's that's quick on on an F1 game that they could get into a car and be exactly the same. I would like to see the fact that it is part of it and that is how they find talent. And it has to change. You know, this can't be the way it goes throughout the entirety of people's lifetimes because at the end of the day, everything's moving to sort of renewable, electric, things like that. And, you know, karting, that's going to have to change. And whilst all of the, you know, the shackles are being brought off the motorsport industry, why not throw esports in the equation? You know, the world's fastest gamer, you know, that's a, a brilliant uh, tournament for, for James Baldwin to have won. And also Rudy Van Buren, he got uh, some great opportunities from that as well. Of course. So yeah. so for me, yeah, definitely let's keep it going because clearly it's worked well. Rudy's in, uh, been really good in, in, in real life cars. So has James. So it's, it's not like the two competition winners have gone into a car, crashed, and that's the end of their career. You know, James Baldwin in particular has shown that he has got the serious minerals in order to to, to mix it with the best in, in that particular category. So why not? That's what I say. Yeah, I'm not I'm not kind of for one minute suggesting that this could, you know, esports could take over karting as an entire thing as the path to the different formulas. But I think, like you said, I think if there if there is like maybe a junior esports category, the teams all get involved. I know a couple of I mean Ferrari have got an esports team. Yep. If everyone, if all the different Formula One teams, Formula Two teams got involved in an esports competition for juniors, uh, and they were just the best in the in that category, would then given a chance in maybe I don't know a Formula F two car, for example, or uh, mm. or a Formula Ford or whatever it may be, to sh- to show that they can do it in real life. If they haven't got the the money to do so um, in real life, I think that could only. Because I think the amount of talent that we miss that the F one uh, grid is missing out on because the the, the young kids can't afford the, yeah. to. I mean, it still blows my mind to this day that Lewis Hamilton is the only black Formula One driver we've ever had, mm. and he's the seven time world champion. It just doesn't it doesn't compute to me um, that we we haven't had more. And I think there needs to be a bigger. This is a really good way of increasing diversity in the sport, and it's something that needs to happen quickly it absolutely does yeah uh why not try and uh, lower the barriers to entry because as you say so much talent out there and so little people can actually afford to to race you know formula two i know that that probably won't change but you know that's like a million and a half uh so 1.5 million pounds just to just to race for a season you know where where are people finding this money from but in terms of getting obviously that's a lot of that comes from sponsors it doesn't come straight from their back pocket but yeah Esports, there's a lot of similarities to, to real life racing. You still have to have that eye for the racing line and being quick around circuits. And you've got platforms like iRacing and R Factor that are simulators. You know, the Formula One game is more leaning towards arcade because of the fact that it tries to, you know, you're just trying to sell to the wider audience. Yeah. If it's a simulator, yeah. it's not going to to appeal to the to the masses. But it is yeah, it's it's such a an interesting topic which I think will continue to to go on as the years go by. But as long as it's being discussed and as long as there's competitions here, there and everywhere, uh, I think it will become more and more frequent that we see these uh, sort of gamer to real life racer stories as much as I'm very sick of that story headline. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, we, we, we've seen that that's possible now. Let's not make it a unique story. Let's make it more of a, a common one. 
Yeah, you made you made a good point as well with the games. I think a, a progress does need to be made, but it will. I mean, if you look at the next gen consoles that are coming out, uh, you look at PC games improving all the time. There will be it will get to a stage where these games are simulation level, just like the teams have. Because if the teams have created these simulators that can that can replicate real life as as good as possible, then I mean, it won't be long until we get developers and and things. Uh, making these kind of games so let's wait and see in the future but i think it's uh yeah i'll just echo your thoughts really on that um matt it's been amazing to chat with you um and to hear your your story from from kitchen youtuber <laughs> to f1 commentator um how do you kind of sum up your your career so far um oh um well, firstly, thank you for having me, Nathan. Um, and secondly, how do I sum up my career? I'd say, I'd hope it's only getting started. That's what I'd like to say. <laughs> um, I feel like, you know, I've been kind of dipping my toe in a lot of things recently. So I, I hope that it continues to, to happen because I love, you know, trying and, and pushing my, my skills and boundaries uh, in, in the world of motorsport. Because absolutely, you know, I adore it and Formula One in particular. But uh, I would probably sum it up being an absolute whirlwind. I didn't expect it to happen. There's so much more opportunity now if you do have a dream to work in Formula One or motorsport that isn't just being an engineer. Um, so if anybody's you know younger than me, which you know in their early twenties and not knowing how to get into motorsport, just just be creative. If that's your side of things, try it. See what happens, and you never know who will watch you shouting in your in your kitchen. For me, it was WTF one. Who knows who it will be for you. Well said, Matt. Thank you very much for for coming on. I wish you all the success in your future career. I'm sure you'll you'll smash it. And um, yeah, let's hope you and Alex Jakes are presenting an <laughs> F1 show in the future. I'd, I'd love I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. Uh, it would be interesting. Thanks so much. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening to Level Up, the esports and gaming show. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave us a rating and review. You can also follow us on Twitter at Level Up Pod, where you'll find all of our previous episodes and information about how to subscribe. We'll be back with a brand new episode very soon. Level Up.